You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Morning, everybody. Robert Carrillo here. I want to welcome you to the Metro LA region of the Los Angeles International Church of Christ. Great to have you with us this morning. And uh, here we go. We're jumping in and uh, we're going to, our text today is going to be Matthew 16. So that's where we're going to be. And um, I'm excited about this message. This is actually a message we did in a park service. Um, but I realized that we have a group of people meeting in park service and a group of people that are meet, that are watching the online services. And so I wanted to be able to share this message with the online service crowd as well. And uh, I think this will just like it encouraged everybody at the park. I think it'll encourage everybody um, online. So uh, let's go ahead and start out with a prayer and then we'll jump right on in. God in heaven, thank you so much for being our God. Thank you for being so available. Thank you for being, uh, Father, always near us and that we could turn to you anytime, anyplace, anyhow, God. Thank you for that. And please help us now to uh, have soft hearts so that uh, your word can penetrate and make a difference in our lives. Please bless our studies. Give us understanding. Give us insight. Give us conviction about what we read and learn today, God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, Matthew six sixteen. You know, I we just got back from uh, Spain. Uh, we were there visiting the church, doing some work, and I got a chance to go visit some of the historical sites, which Spain is just loaded with historical sites, in particular the cathedrals, which are beautiful. And um, and Michelle and I traveled a little bit around in the countryside of Spain on on trains and and just visited historical sites. And so I got to see some of the, the big, beautiful old cathedrals. And one of the things that really stood out to me was how a lot of them was, were established because of a martyr, because of somebody who died for their faith. And so they decided to build a church right there. Um, there, there was different, and, and usually they were built, you know, fourth century, fifth century, seventh century, like a long time ago. And I'd go in there and, and the guide would, or the, you know, sometimes you'd have the little headsets and they would tell us, you know, who they was and why the church was built here. And, and like, for example, I read one, it was, it was three young men. They were probably all teenagers and they all three became Christians. They were in the Roman army. This was probably fourth or fifth century uh, AD. And they were, no, actually it was, it was second century AD. And they were being persecuted for their faith because they became Christians. And basically the commander ordered them to renounce Jesus. And they said, no, you know, they would rather die. So, so they were laid down and a board was put on their head, a big flat board and rocks were put on it. And they were told, as soon as you renounce, you can, they'll, they'll pull you out of it. And, um, they refused to renounce, and they kept putting boulders and boulders until all three of them, their heads were crushed and they died, you know. And and that was one story of one church. And then there was another story of a of a young uh, man who was actually really more like a child. I mean, he was like 13, 14, and they tortured him, and they did all these things to him, and he refused to recant. He refused to say that, that Jesus was not the Lord. And... And he died for his faith. And there's so many stories. I mean, the incredible stories, story after story after story. And I thought, isn't that amazing how their convictions, their faith, their determination would affect people for th- literally thousands of years, you know, and, and 
this is why the church has endured so much and 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 not disappeared and not been stamped out you know i mean how many times in history has somebody said i'm going to stamp out the christians and they never did they never accomplished it there's an old saying that for the blood of the christians in the arenas was the fertilizer for new new faiths in every arena like people watching them would become christians because of what they saw the faith they saw and the love they saw so in matthew 16 we're jumping into a very very famous scene you know um it says that we're reading in verse 13 of chapter 16 when jesus came to the region of caesarea philippi he asked his disciples who do people say the son of man is They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So, classic scene. We've all read it before um, where Jesus comes in and he asks them, who do people say I am? And this is, you know, again, Jesus many times would ask questions, not because he, he needed the answer, but because he was trying to make us think, trying to make the disciples think about what was going on around them. What was happening right now? Who's Jesus? You know, and maybe they hadn't thought of it yet, or maybe they were just still trying to figure out who Jesus was, or maybe they'd bought in, you know, and, and, and Jesus didn't run around saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Savior. He didn't. In fact, he kept it secret the first part of his ministry. He didn't announce it till later in his ministry. But he asked them, who do people say I am? And of course, the people are guessing he's John the Baptist. He's, he's a prophet from the old times. He's, he's this, he's that. And then he asked the really important question, who do you say that I am? Because that's really what matters. I mean, we can, we can have all kinds of opinions about religion. But what really matters is what do you believe? What do you think? What is your religion? Because that's the one that's going to affect your life. That's what's either going to save you or not save you. You know, not what do people think, not even what the church thinks, not what what the whole fellowship thinks. I I mean, just because I'm a member of the International Church of Christ doesn't mean I'm going to heaven. You know, all it means is that I'm with the right. I'm with a great group. You know, it doesn't mean that I'm guaranteed in. What matters is where is my life at? What is my conviction? Same thing true of all of us. Right. So he asks him that. And Peter gives the classic I mean, this is just such a great thing. Peter gives the right answer. And this is awesome for Peter because most of the time Peter was not giving the right answer. Peter was the guy that I was always, you know, blurping out, blurting out an answer and, and saying something he probably shouldn't say and doing something he probably shouldn't do. And, and, but he gets this one right. He gets this one right. And Jesus notes it, you know, and he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. He didn't even call him Peter. He calls him, he calls him, you know, Simon, his real name, Simon, son of Jonah. And he says, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. In other words, he got this not because he's so smart, but because he's close to God and God was able to show him this. God was able to put this on his heart. See, there's, there's something that happens when you walk with God. 
You get all kinds of wisdom and knowledge and insight that you only get walking with him. You don't even, you don't get it from school. You don't get it from, you don't even get it from necessarily, you don't necessarily get it from studying the Bible. You get it from walking with God, from being close to God. And he gives us wisdom. He gives us insights. And he says, he says, this was revealed to you by my father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. I actually, um, I was in Caesarea Philippi, right, right where they're standing. And you can literally stand pretty much where he was. We don't know the exact spot, but, but, um, it's this place where today it's all these temple ruins. You know, there was, it's, we always think of Jesus in Jerusalem or in Jewish towns. This is actually a Roman Greco city, a Greco Roman city. So there was temples everywhere, Te- temples to Roman gods, temples to Greek gods. They were all around him. And there was a big rock right behind it's, it's, it's basically a hill, but it's one solid rock. And it's called the rock. And at the very bottom of it, there's a hole that just drops way down. You can go and look down the hole. It's a huge hole. And, and they call it the gates of Hades. So you can actually, you know, they believe that if you go down that hole, you will actually get to Hades or the underworld. And, but it's all surrounded by, it was all back then surrounded by these temples today, just ruins. And, and then as you're standing there, there's a little river, the river Dan goes by, which empties out into the Jordan, the Jordan river. And it's a, it's a river. You've probably seen this in, in the forest or camping or something. It's all little round pebbles, these little pebbles and, and, and so Jesus, being an incredible, masterful speaker, you know, he always uses things that you can see. And so he talks about the rock, the rock standing right behind him. He talks about the little rock, and they're all, uh, you know, lying on the thing. And he says that you are Peter, and on this rock, the big thing, what's the big thing? The big thing is that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah. And he says, on this, I will build my church. And he says something. He says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In other words, his church will never fail. It will never disappear. It will never go away. It will always be there. And, and the amazing thing is, you know, you can, you can go to Caesarea Philippi today and all those marble and stone temples, they're gone. There's nothing but ruins. And, you know, people built things in stone and in marble so that it would last forever. They're gone, but the church that Jesus established is still here today. It's still here, exactly what he predicted 2,000 years ago. The church is still going strong. All those temples, they're gone. They're wiped out. They're no more. They're ancient history. And that is absolutely true. And he, and he holds up Peter, you know, and he tells Peter, you know, blessed are you. And, and I mean, how incredible. And this, and this church, you know, I mean, this is, this is huge. Jesus is setting up a group of people. The the word church, ecclesia in Greek or iglesia in Spanish, it just it means called out. That means the people that belong to Jesus, the called out ones, right? The those that belong to him. And 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 he says, I will build my church. He's gonna build a church. This is the group that he's you know that we read about later in Acts chapter two, you know, the devote sounds to the fellowship, to prayer, to breaking bread. This is the group that they met together every day. Jesus had all this in mind, even back then, before he was even crucified, that he was gonna have this group of people, and they would be an amazing group of people. Not because they're perfect, but because they love him and they follow his teachings, and they are his people, they are his 
kind of his the ones who follow his teachings that walk his way that live the life that he gave us we're going to jump down to 21 from this time on jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life so jesus is telling them the plan he's telling them look this is what's going to happen i'm going to get arrested, beaten, and crucified, and die. He said, that's that's what's going to go down, right? And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I don't know if the compliment earlier just went to his head, and all of a sudden he thinks he can disciple Jesus, or that he can correct Jesus. I'm not sure. But he, took, he takes Jesus aside, and he starts to rebuke him. I mean, wow, talk about taking a lot of nerve there. Talk about being bold, you know, stupidly bold, but bold. And he takes Jesus aside and he tells him, this shall never happen to you. And look what happens. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Whoa. You know, when, when anybody ever calls me names or criticizes me unfairly or says things, that hurts my feelings. And, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm a leader. It doesn't matter how long I've been a Christian. It still hurts, right? And I think that's true of all of us. We, we don't like it when somebody calls us a name or accuses us of something. Imagine if Jesus called you Satan. You know, I think I would just die on the spot right there. <laughs> I mean, he pulls Peter aside and he says, get behind me, Satan. He's calling Jesus Satan. Whoa. Why? Why such a strong reaction? I mean, I can only imagine Peter's face. He, he probably just dropped to the ground. Why such a strong reaction? It was a very serious thing that, that Peter was doing. He was trying to stop Jesus from suffering and dying. He Now, why would he do that? Well, I think it's because he loved Jesus. I think because he cared so much about Jesus. I think because he didn't want Jesus to have to suffer, which is obviously out of the goodness of his heart, not because he's he's a jerk or because he's prideful. The problem with that is it's not God's plan. He missed God's plan. Even out of good intentions, even out of desire to make good things happen, he didn't get it. And Jesus calls him Satan. And, and the key is what he tells him. He says, you have in mind, the, he says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And basically he told Peter, you're thinking like a mere human and not like God thinks. And he said, don't put a stumbling block in my way. He wasn't thinking about what God wanted. You know, the amazing thing here is that we can actually be very devoted to the church. We can be very devoted to reading our Bibles, to being, you know, religious people, and yet not be spiritual, not have the things of God in our mind, not be thinking about what does God want? What is God searching for? In fact, Jesus continues talking, and he says in verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, 
whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good is it for a man to get, for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. You know, God had a plan, and that plan included suffering. That plan included hardships. That plan included challenge. And that's just the way it is, because you cannot be the light of the world in a darkness world and not expect to have conflict, not expect to suffer some, not expect to go through some difficult times. Sacrifice, hardship is just part of what it takes to make a difference. It's part of what it takes to save somebody else, to save our children, to save the people we love, to save our neighbors, to help other people. We'd like it to be easy. We live in a time where we'd like everything to be easy, suffrage-free, everything to go great. The early church, Jesus was preparing them because the early church went through all kinds of intense things. He knew that they would suffer a lot. And he also knew that that some would bail out because of it. That some people will join the church simply because they want an improvement plan. They want a better life. And when it gets hard and when the rubber meets the road and it gets difficult, they bail out. They start blaming God. They start blaming the church. They start blaming the leaders. They start blaming the Bible. They, they just find something to blame and they bail. And that it's because their thinking was worldly. They were looking for an improvement plan or an easy victory or just a ticket to heaven. And, but they were not thinking of what God is thinking of. They were not planning for God. And, you know, a lot of times we always think of, well, all this suffering happened in the early church, like, you know, all those martyrs that I encountered in the, in the cathedrals. But this still happens today. I was, I talked to a sister. I talked to a group actually from, from one of the, our countries in the, our churches in the Middle East. And a Bible talk broke in. I mean, a, a group of radicals broke into their Bible talk, grabbed them. They had to fight them off. They grabbed the sister and tried to, to kidnap her. And, and the brothers had to fight to save her. One of the brothers got stabbed, but she got away. I mean, it was a very serious thing. And guess what? She was back at church the next week. You know, I talked to a brother um, who was trained to, to hurt Christians. I talked to another brother who who they were having midweek, and they heard all these police coming. They found out that there was a bomber, a terrorist, that was going to go into their midweek, stand in the middle, explode himself, kill himself, and kill a whole bunch of members of the church. You know, and, and, and you know, as as as... You know, not coincidence, but his bomb went off early in the parking lot and he only hurt himself. He only killed himself, right? And you know what they did? They kept having church. You know, that I mean that's what you do. You just keep going. You know, and I talked to I I I've seen families where somebody was literally burned to death. I'm talking a spouse, I'm talking a mom, I'm talking somebody this is all stuff in the last five years. This is not stuff from 2000 years ago. And it's just it's what some people go through. But here's the crazy the crazy thing is that 
you know, so, well, let me say this. I think it, we have to keep this in mind that this is what Jesus said would happen. I mean, this is why he said, if you want to come after me, the first thing you got to do is take up your cross, you know, follow me daily. You got to, de- no, actually said the first thing he said was deny yourself, then take up your cross and follow me daily. That's, he was warning us that this is not going to be easy. What's not going to be easy? Being a member of a church? Now, being a member of a church is easy. That's nothing. It's following Jesus would not be easy. Doing the things Jesus would do would not be easy. Not in a world that is so radically different, that is so unloving, that is so hateful, that is so far from God. You cannot follow Jesus without conflict, without challenges, with even persecution, with hardship, with obstacles to overcome. And 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 so I think, you know, I, I think about how um, I remember this one brother told me one time, imagine what it's going to be like when we're in heaven, we're all sitting around and we're talking and we're sharing stories of what we went through. You know, this brother was fed to lions. This sister had her kids fed to lions. This brother, they peeled his skin off while he was alive because he wouldn't denounce Jesus. And then they're going to look at us and go, what'd you go through? And we're going to be like, well, uh, I rode 25 minutes to church. That, that's our sacrifice, you know. Or I got criticized by somebody in my family. Or, you know, I mean, it's just a whole nother level. But the crazy thing is this, is that even those little tiny sacrifices can actually knock out Christians. Can actually knock people out. There are people that leave the church because they don't want to drive across town. You know, they don't want to sit in their air-conditioned car for an extra 10, 15 minutes to get to church. I've sometimes thought, you know, maybe we have, we should just go out, have, have church out in the middle of the desert an hour and a half away. Just see who shows up. See who's really committed to God, that understands how important this is. I remember that at a at a conference, was shared about a brother. Somebody shared about a brother in Africa, who his wife had no legs. She was handicapped. She had had her legs amputated, and they would take the public transportation. He would have to carry her to the bus. They had no wheelchair. He had to carry her. They would ride the bus. But even days that the bus system was down, he would carry her. And walk to church. You know, that's how important church was. So it's crazy when I, when I, when I'll hear somebody say, you know, well, I don't want to drive all the way over there. You know, I'll just go to a church nearby or I'll just go to a region that's closer or I'll just do this. It's like, what? We don't want to sacrifice anything. We don't want to suffer at all for God, for his church, for his people, or even much more subtly, is the hassle of getting together. And I get it. We all get, we all get comfortable. I mean, the first church park service, I thought, oh man, now I got to get dressed and I got to get ready and I got to go down there, you know? And I realized, oh my gosh, I'm getting so comfortable, you know, that I can just normally go down in my t-shirt and shorts and watch the service on TV. But it's like, oh, watch out. You know, I'm becoming a consumer Christian. What's a consumer Christian? It's somebody that judges everything by does it meet my needs? Does it make me happy? Does it, is it what I like? That's not Christianity. Jesus didn't say, this is going to be great. We'll do everything you like. We'll play the music you like. We'll have the kind of preaching you like. We like, in fact, what he, his standard was the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. We don't join a church because they meet my needs. We join a church because it's a place to serve and be a disciple of Jesus. It's a place where we can do that. And But consumer Christianity is the opposite. 
is it's kind of like shopping for a gym, you know. Is the air conditioning right? Are the are the is equipment right? I like do I like the showers and the bath? In other words, do I like the things? Do they meet my needs? Instead of I'm here to serve God and to serve my brothers and sisters. That's really what the church is about. It's the people called out of the world that are willing to suffer, willing to go through everything. Jesus warned us, you know, in, in Matthew 24, 9, it says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and to put to death. You will be hated by all the nations because of me. I mean, this is all stuff Jesus was warning us about. He's saying, look, people are going to hate you because you're a disciple. You know, and and I think it's, it. we've been in a time where there's very little persecution, when Michelle and I became a Christians, there was a lot of persecution. We had people picketing in front of the church. We had people accusing us of all kinds of stuff. And you old timers know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been through it in different places. And and the good thing about that is nobody was a member of the church unless they were serious about being a disciple of Jesus. And they understood that meant suffering. The problem with things getting easy is we get comfortable and then we demand comfort. It's got to be comfortable or I'm not doing it or I'm not going to this church. It's got to meet my needs or I'll find a place that meets my needs. Jesus said, look, this is the things that are going to happen. He says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. He said, people are going to walk. People are going to leave us. People are going to abandon us. It's going to be painful. It's going to be destructive. And we've all, if you've been around very long, you've been through that. You know how painful that is. And Jesus said, that's what's going to happen. He says, and, 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 and trust me, you know, nobody walks away and says, I'm going to walk away from all that is good and right and holy. No, they walk away saying, I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like that person. I don't like this. And there's too many problems. And da, 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 da. Find me a church that isn't full of problems. Every church is because it's full of people and people have problems. You have problems. I have problems. All of us have problems. In fact, the reason we have church is to learn how to help each other, learn how to love. It's part of the process. It's part of God's plan to stick a bunch of sinful people together so they can learn how to love each other, so they can learn how to forgive. They can learn how to be like him, and they can grow in in, in God's image. And that doesn't happen without some suffering. But he says this. He says, because of their increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Here's the, here's the scary thing. Is that many people's hearts will grow cold. Jesus knew that. They'll start out fired up. They'll start out passionate for God. They'll start out in love with God. But they'll let their hearts grow cold. They won't stoke the fire. They won't keep it passionate. We know what that looks like. You know what it looks like in a marriage, right? The husband doesn't take time to be romantic anymore. He doesn't make anything special anymore. What he did, all those wonderful things he did to woo her into a relationship, they're gone. They're ancient history. And he's distant and he's cold and he doesn't share his heart. And he doesn't even seem to enjoy the relationship anymore. Or it can also happen with a wife. That she becomes distant, she... And then she's ripe to fall into sin, or he's ripe to fall into sin and to be led astray. And we see it happens all the time. I mean, there are literally thousands of weddings every weekend, and there are thousands of divorces throughout the week. You know, because why? Because people's hearts grew cold. They don't spend the time together anymore. They don't prioritize each other. 
they they don't they don't work out conflicts they just let the conflicts sit and get and fester and become infected until it poisons the whole relationship and then one day they realize we don't love each other we can't stand each other let's get a divorce and that's what happens you know or it will happen to one which becomes so hurtful to the other and that happens people's hearts grow cold and and but it's not just that that's marriage is a great uh, 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 example to look at because we see it so clearly, but it happens in friendships, it happens in relationships, it happens in the most important relationship, our relationship with God. Our hearts can grow cold. Having quiet times, it's a matter of self-denial and discipline. Yeah, 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 I'm, tr- I'm trying to make sure I get at least a half hour, or some people are like 15 minutes or 10 minutes. I mean, they just they send, spend so little time with God. And the issue isn't even really time, although we usually have a lot more time. I mean, compare how much time do we watch TV and look at social media compared to how much time we spend with God. That'll tell you a lot right there. Is the issue really a lack of time or is the issue a lack of prioritizing God? A lack of making God important in our life. We see it. We're no longer, when, when a, when a heart grows cold in the church, they, they're not that fired up about getting with other people. They're not that fired up about going to church. They're not that fired up. Even logging in and watching a service becomes a, a big deal that they just don't do anymore, you know, and we get more and more distance. That's what happens when we allow our hearts to grow cold. We're just not super committed. We're not excited. We're, we're, we're not in love anymore. Not with God, not with the church or not with the Bible or not with one another. And life is so busy and there's so much to do. And there's so many challenges, particularly in the last year and a half, that it's easy for everything that's good and helpful to just get squeezed out and to have no time or no energy or no ability. And, of course, somebody in that place is not going to sacrifice. They're not going to serve. They're not going to give. They're certainly not going to want to lead anything because that's burdensome, you know, and 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 it's just sad. And you know what? You know what happens? And that doesn't mean everybody's going to fall away. Some people fall away. But some people just they're just in automatic mode. And you know what that is? That is denominational Christianity. That is the kind of Christianity most of us got out of. That is the kind of Christianity that most of us fled. I had a sister tell me the other day that she recommended somebody goes to another church because it's closer. And she said, and it's not that different. And I don't know about you, maybe it's not that different where you're at or your group, your Bible talk or something. But denominational Christianity is totally different than what I'm experiencing. Than what I have. And I'm not saying all denominations are bad and all denominations are evil, but I know that many people in denominations, there is no standard of discipleship. There is no expectation to be completely committed, sold out, all in with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's just, if you show up, you're fine. That's the Christianity that most of us grew up with. And we fled from that. We, we escaped that. And for some people, we're going back to that in our own church and living like denominational Christians. And so when that sister says it's not different, it probably isn't different for her. Her Bible talk probably is like the denominational Christianity, but not in my circles, not in my group of friends. We are totally devoted to God, totally committed to God. And, and, and it's a whole different story. Consumer Christianity is killing churches today. In all denominations, not just others. 
ours as well. This whole expectation of I want, I need, meet my needs, meet my wants, my, you know, what I want to, songs I want to sing, kind of preaching I want. It's killing people spiritually. Instead of coming here to serve God, instead of coming here to sacrifice for him. And you only have that motivation if we're prioritizing God, walking with God, being with God. And you know it's really bad when they reach a point where they begin to judge everything, including God. They judge God. He doesn't meet my needs. He doesn't do what I want. He didn't do the things I asked for. Didn't give me what I prayed for. Or judge the church. Or judge the leaders. Or judge the members. Or judge the Bible talk leader. We become very judgmental. And we pretend we're not. Oh, I'm just trying to be wise. I'm just trying to shop around. We go church shopping or whatever. And instead of understanding, no, I'm, I'm here to serve. I'm here to love. I'm here to give. Because God served me. Because God loved me. Because Jesus died on a cross for me. If no one came to church, would I still go? If nobody else had quiet times, would I have quiet times? And I'm not saying that doctrine doesn't matter. It does matter what church you go to. It does. But what matters just as important is our life, our priorities. What are we doing? life and doctrine and most importantly that we love god with all our heart mind soul and strength that we love each other the same way the bible says nobody nobody can love god without loving their brother that we have be passionately committed to each other that's the church i want to be a part of isn't it the church you want to be a part of that's the group i want to be with the people who totally love God and totally love each other. It doesn't mean we're blind to our problems. It doesn't mean we don't see each other's sin. It doesn't mean we don't have to deal with conflicts, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, of course. But when you're all in, it doesn't matter. When I think of my kids, I see all their faults. I see all their weaknesses. But I love them. I would die for them. I would give my life for them. And I think most of us as parents would feel the same. We are all God's children, and we should feel that way for each other. And we have to be all in. That's the church that those martyrs died for. That's the church Jesus meant when he said, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's the church that that brother carried his wife to. That's the church that the sister went back to the next week, even after they tried to kidnap her. That's the church that the brothers stayed faithful to even when they killed his wife for becoming a Christian. That's the church of Jesus Christ. That's the church that I'm willing to lay down my life for. How about you? What do we believe in strong enough that we would give up our lives for it? The Spirit of God in Revelation 2 speaks to the churches because a lot of them, their hearts were growing cold. And what does he tell them? You remember, go back to the first love you had. Go back to the love that you had in the beginning. And how do we do it? Go back and do the things you did at first. Spend the time with God that you need. Spend the time with brothers and sisters that we need. Put them as a priority. Be all in. Tell God, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. 
You know, you say, Robert, that's a poker analogy. Well, it works. You know, when you're playing poker and you think you got a good hand, you put it all in there and you say, I'm all in, right? We got a good thing, Jesus. We've got a good thing, a relationship with God. We got a good thing. We got wonderful people around us. Is everybody perfect? Of course not. But we got a lot of great people trying. So the only way to be is all in, all in. I love this one brother who, you know, he grew up certain religion that opposes Christianity defiantly. And they found out that he had been baptized. So they arrested him and they beat him. This is a young guy. This is a young brother. He's like probably 22 years old, 23 years old. And they started torturing him to renounce Jesus. And you know what happened? He did. He was so scared and in so much pain, he renounced Jesus. And they let him go. He went home. But when he went home, he felt so ashamed. He felt so ashamed. He went out and he got a huge tattoo on his chest of a cross. Now, I don't recommend this. And this is a classic young guy thing to do. But he said, I did this so that I can never renounce Jesus again. I can never pretend to not be a Christian. I have to stand with Jesus. I don't ever want to turn my back with Jesus again. I love that, you know. Now, I'm not saying go out and get tattoos of the cross or anything. But but just be all in. Make the decision. I'm all in. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. I love God with everything. Say it in the mornings when you pray. Tell God, I love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Tell God, I love my brothers and sisters with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I will be devoted as devoted as I can be. And that'll be different for all of us. Some people can give lots of time. Some people only have a little time. Some people have lots of money. Some people only have a little money. Some people have a lot of talent. Some people only have a little bit of talent. But whatever you got that you give it to God, you stoke your heart, the flame of your love for God. You don't let your heart grow cold and you don't let your relationships die out. We are so challenged right now. But we got to be all in. All in. All in for God and all in for each other. God bless you. When coming. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.